Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today's guest has over 25 years' experience as a real estate analyst, fund manager, developer, and buying agent in the prime central London property market. He's the former founder and CEO of one of Europe's best performing hedge funds in the great financial crisis in 2008, WDB Capital, and he is now the chief executive of Ludgrove Property, a research firm for buyers in the prime central London property market, providing research for ultra high net worths and institutions. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Fraser Slater. Welcome, Fraser. Hi, Rod. Thanks for having me on your show. Pleasure. So I guess we'd better start with a quick introduction. I, I gave I gave everyone a quick intro into, into you. So is there anything I've missed? And could you give us a bit of info about Lovegrove property? Yeah, that was a good introduction. So just a little bit about me and my sort of background. Uh, so I started in the city in the mid-1990s as a real estate analyst. And then I became a fund manager. I ran a £6 billion equity fund. And then in 2007, I decided to go my own way and start a, my own fund management business. I raised about $25 million of seed capital. The timing was interesting, to say the least, because about a month after I launched the fund, the market peaked and then went on to decline about 50% over the following 18 months. So that was a bit of a kiss of death, um, you might say. However, it wasn't all bad. I'd done my research on the subprime banking sector ahead of the market and the fund performed very well. In fact, it was one of the best performing funds in Europe during the financial crisis. Um, in 2008, I outperformed my peer group by just over 35%. But the problem then was raising capital. So at that time, well, before the financial crisis, if you raised $50 million of assets, you were investable. But post the financial crisis and the Bernie Madoff scandal in particular, the hurdle rate for investment became 250 million. So that made it very difficult to grow the fund uh, from there, despite the strong performance. And then uh, towards sort of 2011, it was, we had a period of poor performance and inevitably a couple of investors withdrew their assets. And to cut a long story short, the fund became uneconomic. And at that point, I decided to close the fund and think about what I wanted to do with my life. I've been in the city for, you know, 15, 16 years or so. And at that point, I had a young and growing family. I suppose they're still a growing family. The kids needed uh, more space. We owned a uh, sort of family home in central London. So I extended and refurbished that property. And that was something that I really enjoyed, something a bit more creative and tangible than uh, working in the stock market. I should also mention at this point, I come from a property family. So my late father was an architect. My brother's a property developer. My wife is also an interior designer. And it was around this time that I started looking into the prime London property market and found uh, a few things out. Uh, first of all, there's very limited research on the prime London property market. And the research that was available was written exclusively by sales agents. There was nothing written from a buyer's point of view and from, a, uh, from the buying agents. And more importantly, it didn't answer the sort of questions that I wanted answered when I looked at the prime London property market. So, for example, you know, I wanted to know what stage the, of the cycle the prime London property was, market was in. Was it expensive? Was it cheap? What areas looked good value and so on? And there was nothing really that, that answered those questions for me. 
And the more I looked into it, I looked at uh, the sort of addressable market size. So if you consider Kensington and Chelsea and Westminster as the two principal boroughs in prime central London, the private housing stock uh, market there, or the value of the housing stock there is about 140 billion, which equates to 7% of the UK economy, which is quite large to say the least. It's a brilliant stat that I've never heard before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Rod, for most people, it's their biggest asset. Yeah. And for most people, it's their pension. And, you know, if you think about research into stocks and shares, and when I was a fund manager, we'd get papers, you know, up to the ceiling almost of research into individual stocks, whereas there's hardly anything out there, at least from a buyer's point of view on, on the brand on the property market. So it was at that point I decided to uh, start Love Grove. And really the emphasis is on... Uh, or our focus is on value-added research. And that allows clients to make an informed decision both at the market level and the asset level. And so far we've been successful. You know, our research is featured in The Times, Forbes magazine, The Spectator, Mansion Global. We're in uh, Prime Resi pretty much every month and we're usually one of the most read articles out there. Um, And I'm glad to see that Deutsche Bank research are my, which was my first employer in the city, is now quoting my research. Brilliant. Um, and I should mention also, we're now sort of ranked among the top top buying agents within, uh, but well, by Prime Resi. So that, that's the sort of background to Ludgrove. And in terms of the services that we offer, um, I've mentioned the research. What we do is there are sort of three elements to it. So the first is residential acquisitions for homeowners. A lot of them are high net worth based overseas. The second is development opportunities for developers and investors. So there what we do is we do a full appraisal and analysis of each individual opportunity. So what do sort of cash flow appraisal, work out the internal rate of return, the return on equity, and so on of each uh, project. So that whittles it down for investors quite markedly because often what they just receive is a is a brochure, whereas that's not not what they want to know. They want to have it weeded out a bit more and a bit more due diligence done. So that's something we offer developers. And then the other aspect is bulk buying apartment blocks for investors. So apartment blocks are attractive for a number of reasons. One of them is uh, they tend to be freeholds. They tend to be uh, commercial stamp duty. So you pay 5% stamp rather than, you know, up to 15% of the marginal rate. And they offer investors flexibility in terms of, being able to dispose of assets at the end of it. So they can piecemeal sell individual apartments rather than trying to sell an entire asset, which is 10 or 20 million. They can sell 10 flats at at a million pounds a piece sort of thing. Um, And finally, apartment blocks give them some operational benefits because they own an asset, which is a single asset rather than, you know, 10 or 20 flats spread across London. Hmm. Um, So those are the sorts of areas that we operate in. So talk to me then about, prime central London attributes of, of, of real, st- real estate. So what are some of the key features there in terms of prime central London maybe versus other parts of the UK? Yeah, so we've done some analysis on the, ret- the historic returns of prime central London. Um, so since 1995, which is how far our data goes back, the total return over that period is 416%, but it's compound on average at 7% per annum. So to put that into perspective, equities over the long term have returned around 8%. Mm. 
Um, so you're getting equity, historically, you're achieving equity-like returns. With much lower risk. Well, that's the thing. So the volatility of prime central London property, which we've measured going back, as I say, the last 25 years, is very similar to government bond. Yeah. So you're getting equity-like returns with bond-like volatility. And the other interest, there's some other interesting aspects to it. One of them is the um, consistency of the returns. So if you look over the last 25 years, so almost 80% of those years have been positive years and only 20% approximately have been negative years. That's pretty attractive. And I suppose the final thing to mention is that it's non-correlated to other assets. And in particularly in an environment where because of quantitative easing, a lot of assets are highly correlated. This is, uh, you know, stands apart. I think that was the most interesting thing I saw from um, uh, your report that you did, and which um, if anyone is interested in that, you will, we'll leave Fraser's details um, in the show notes and you can contact him uh, to maybe see if you can uh, have a look at that report. But definitely one of the most interesting things that, that I came across was how prime central London property is not correlated with other, other assets, which I found really, really interesting. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned about return characteristics of prime central London. So one of the other areas we've looked at is, um, which is quite timely at the moment, is how prime central London has performed coming out of recessions. So if we look at the 90-92 recession and the 08-09 recession and the five years that followed that, how the returns of prime central London stack up. So in the early 90s, the first five years after that was 76% return. And following the financial crisis, the prime London market returned 73%. So the average of those is 75% and the average uh, compound rate is 12%, which is quite interesting itself because prime London property tends to be early in the cycle. Mm. So you tend to see the best returns early on in the cycle. And you know, we can come on to it, but we've basically been through a six-year downturn, a record-long downturn in the market. So we think it's well-placed for recovery. And obviously, you're, you're, I'm guessing you're thinking then Prime Central London will recover much quicker than other parts of the UK, because I know a lot of our listeners will be looking at this, and a lot of them are predominantly, obviously, property investors rather than other assets. So they'll be looking at how Prime Central London compares to other areas of the UK in terms of property um, and certainly timing is a, is a big factor in that. Yeah so we've um, I think it's worth mentioning at this stage how far the prime central London market has fallen to put things into context so as I mentioned in 2014 the market peaked and we had a, a number of factors which led the, the market south so we had uh, several tax rises we had Brexit, we had the threat of a hard left government, and then more recently we've had COVID. So all of those th- factors have weighed heavily on prime central London. So if we consider that the peak in 2014, uh, in nominal terms, the uh, prices have declined 16%. But we look at it in real terms, because if you're looking at an asset that's fallen for a long period of time, it's really you know, what's happened to purchasing power over the same period. So yeah. there's been 14% growth in inflation. So in real terms, the market's down 30%. And actually, the interesting statistic there, Rod, is that that brings us back to where the market was in prime central London in 2007. So in, not, in other words, 13 years of real terms growth has been wiped out in the last six years. We've also looked at the duration of this prime central London recession. So 
1989-92, the market fell for a three-year period. In 2008-2009, the market fell just for a year. Uh, and as I mentioned, this market downturn is six years in duration. So it's by far and away the, deep, the longest uh, downturn record. Is, is it the deepest in terms of prices, in terms of real prices, com- compared to those other two? Yeah, a good question. It's not quite the deepest. So 89.92, we saw a 34% uh, downturn yeah. in real terms. 08.09 was 26%. And again, this, this downturn since 2014 is 30%. Right, okay. So, but the point we make there is that really this is where the market has historically troughed and then recovered. It's there or thereabouts, you know, at 30% yeah. trough, which is basically the average of those three recessions. It's the point at which historically the market has troughed and then recovered. And obviously you talked about in real terms, so inflation adjusted. And what about things like currency? Because Prime Central London's got a lot of international buyers. Foreign money wants to come in and, and, and purchase that. And with what's happened to the pound, um, I mean, I know it's, it's risen on the, on the very recent news of a Brexit deal slightly, um, but overall, in the since 2014, I imagine it's it's gone down. So, I imagine that affects the value, I suppose, for foreign buyers buying from in certain currency. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely, Rod. It's it's a great question. So, foreign buyers are approximately 30% of the prime centre of London property market. And if we consider, we go back to the fact that in real terms, the market's declined 30% from peak. And if we then add on the currency adjustments over that period. We can see that for a euro buyer, they're buying about 42% cheaper than the peak in 2014. And then for a dollar buyer, and anything that's sort of pegged to the dollar, Singapore, Hong Kong buyers, Qatar, UAE, and so on, they're all buying around 50% 50 discount to 2014 levels. So it's, it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, we talked about it kind of being a lot less in real terms and with currency, but does that mean it's cheap or that everything else is expensive? Well, there's a number of things that have changed the dynamic over the last few years. And I think the main thing is quantitative easing. Yeah. Because what's happened over this period um, has been because of a great deal of money printing uh, assets across the spectrum have risen hugely in value. So if we take that starting point of Prime Centre of London having done nothing in the year 2007 in real terms, it's where yep. it is. You know, we've looked at how the market, how other assets have performed over that period to put things into context. In real terms as well. In real terms, yeah. So for example, gold is up 135%. Mm-hmm. Equities, uh, well, the S&P 500 is up 92% in real terms. And the London property market's up 28%. We've also looked at it relative to global wealth. So Credit Suisse provide a global wealth index. And we've indexed the growth in prime centre London to the year 2007. Uh, and compared that to growth in global wealth and uh, prime center of London's lagged by around 20, 20%. I know you mentioned um, gold there, because one, one of the questions I think I, I discussed with someone the other day was if you were to buy a house and, and we forgot currency and we just use gold as, as, our, as our marker, over the last 50 years, I think it's slightly cheaper. So the, the same amount of gold will buy you 
less houses than it would have in 50 years. And I know, I think you've done, done one in the last 20 years, which shows actually it is cheaper than, than the average price of 20 years. Is that right? Do you want to just discuss that? Yes, but, but we've, I mean, Prime Central London is historically, and over a very long period of time, has been regarded as a safe haven asset. Yeah. And quite obviously, so is gold. Um, so we did a little analysis a while back where we looked at the multiple of Prime Central London in pounds per square foot terms to the gold price and tracked that back over the last 20 years. And what we can see is that the, on average, the gold price has been 1.2 times mm. the pounds per square foot of London. Um, and we're currently trading at basically a 20-year low at 0.8 times. So, yeah. And actually that coincides with the low points of the ratio over the last 20 years. So yeah, uh, the ratio was at the same level in 2009-10, and that was the beginning of a, of a bull market where we saw, I think, 60% growth. And also the, that ratio is, is interesting because it showed a, a peak in 2014-15 of 1.6 times. Yeah, that's really, really interesting to see. And um, I was just going to say that the one I was talking about, the 50-year one, was done on UK property as a whole. And obviously when you get into, there's lots of different markets in the UK and Prime Central London, obviously you're focusing in on that and it just shows how much of a difference location makes to, to the market and where you are. Absolutely. And I think just one other point to raise, Rod, is um, how, we, how sort of anomalous this recession looks for Prime Central London. So we've compared this downturn in, in PCL to the London downturn historically uh, going back over the last 30 years. So in 1989-92, PCL fell 26%. The London property market fell 32%. So that's a difference of 6%. Yeah, yeah. In 08-09, the market in PCL fell 22%. London fell 18%. So a difference of 4%. So what we're saying is that historically, the difference during a recession is about 4 or 5% between PCL and London. Whereas this downturn, we've seen uh, 16% in PCL, but plus 25% in London. So it's, it's, it's way out of kilter with the rest of London to what normally happens in a, in a, in a recession in, in the area. And yeah, so, so historically, there'd be about plus or minus 5% difference between Prime London and London, whereas this one is a 41% difference. And do you think that's due to the specifics of this recession in terms of maybe things like logistics? So, for example, we know in Prime Central London, there's a lot of short lets, there's a lot of um, foreign students, but also you mentioned 30% of uh, buyers are foreigners. And with the travel ban, people not traveling as much, uh, universities not being open, um, short stays not really happening. So... Do you think that's made a big effect and could be one reason or are there other reasons at play? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are multiple reasons and we've tried to sort of um, play devil's advocate and yeah. reverse engineer how one might justify that. So if you think about that 41% difference, um, obviously tax is one element. Um, so we, we took... Stamp duty and... Yeah, so stamp duty changes, um, the threat of a hard left government was a big one, Brexit and, and COVID. So uh, tax, we think, accounts for, should account for on paper about 5% of the movement out right. of the 41%. 
because if we consider that the top rate of tax was over two million was seven uh, percent uh, pre December two thousand fourteen, it then moved in April sixteen to effectively if we if we take a two point three million pound house in Kensington which is over that threshold, that would then be paying 11.5%. So if we round that up to 5%, there's approximately a 5%, call it 5% yeah. difference, which should be accounted for that. If we then think the other aspect was really weighed, which I think was the biggest threat through the period of probably 2016 to 2019, was the threat of a hard left government and what that might mean for London property. Well, that's now disappeared. So there should be nothing discounted in the price for that. Yeah. The other aspect is COVID, and we can kind of quantify that. And you're right to say that rents have been under pressure as, as a consequence. But if we look at prices in the prime centre London market to the end of October, which is the latest, or sorry, November, the latest data we had, was that prices were down 1% in PCL, whereas the London market had grown 4%. So the implication there is that there should be 5% in the price for yeah. COVID. So we're basically at 10%. We've got residual of 31%, which which is effectively Brexit, which seems to us like a big overshoot. Yeah, I, I agree. And do, do you think, just with the, with the rest of London then, do you think things like buyers wanting more space, gardens, so they're moving a bit further out from zone one, there's a lot of apartments in, in, in prime central London, do you think that makes a big difference or, or yeah, is it- I think it does as well. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, you know, there are more apartments in, oh, clearly in central London than houses. Yeah. When we look at houses in, in particular in areas like St. John's Wood, which I think houses are up about 15%. Yeah. 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 Um, whereas apartments in the same area are down two or three percent. Yeah. I mean, where, where I am in, in, in Ballam, um, it's very, it's a, it's a similar story that houses are, are going up quite considerably and, and, and doing really really well if the sort of bigger four or five bed houses with decent sized gardens whereas if you've got flats with no outside space they are really really struggling yeah and that's um i think something that will continue through the course of this year as well yeah so comparing this against other assets then we talked about gold what are what other asset classes do you look at and you mentioned before that Prime Central London has been seen as a safe haven and you, I think you compared it to government bonds as well. Is there anything else you look at it against, like equities and, and various other things? Yeah, absolutely. So my sort of fund management hat on, investors tend to look at things on a relative basis. Yeah. So they look at price relative and yield relative are two of the most important things. So when we look at Prime Central London relative to the mainstream London property market, and we track that back over the last 10 years, on average, Prime Central London's traded at a 200% premium uh, to London, but it's currently trading at 160% premium. So it's 40% below its long-term average on a price relative basis. There's, there's a couple of other interesting things. So the, the next point is, is a little bit abstract, so maybe bear with me a second. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The way that in, um, professional investors look at um, assets is to look at it relative to gilt yields, yeah. which is what they call the risk-free rate, right? So if you have a, a yield pickup over and above the risk-free rate, then that's a, an attractive and you're being paid to take that risk. And if you're not achieving a, a yield pickup or if you're achieving a yield discount, then there's no point owning that asset. You might as well invest in a government bond. So we've looked at the rental yields 
premium of Prime Centre London over gilt yields for the past 20 years. So currently, the, the yield of Prime Centre London um, is trading at 3.3%. Uh, Government bond yields are 0.2%. So it's a 3.1% yield premium. Yeah. And if we look at that over the last 20 years, that's a record high. Um, and in fact, the 20-year average is 0.7%. So you 0.7%. 0.7%. Yeah. So historically... Well, that's very high then. <laughs> in other words, yeah. if this was trading at the average, the yield on Prime Centre London would be 0.9%. And if you were to, you know, capitalise 0.9% from here, you know, that's probably 200% upside or, or something, which is never going to happen. But it gives you an idea of how disjointed it, it is relative to where it has traded historically. And just on, on that point, obviously at the moment there seems to be this big scramble for yield as, as kind of a, as interest rates are so low and, and government bonds are low. Do you think that's going to continue with interest rates being low and if so how how long for absolutely i mean you know the story of quantitative easing is the perpetual reduction in in yields of all asset classes hmm. and actually we've looked at how prime london looks over the last uh, sort of 10 years in a post qe world where every asset class's uh, yields have compressed hmm. so uh, equity equity uh, dividend yields are at an all time a 10 year low uh, government bond yields again, or I mentioned are at a ten-year low, um, and even rental yields in the UK, the wider UK property market, are at a ten-year low. Yeah. But when we look at Prime Central London, the yield is close to its ten-year high. We did something um, last year looking at this, and we didn't actually do Prime Central London, but we did other areas of the UK, so Manchester City Centre, I think Leeds, and um, I think we did Outer London. And um, what we found was the spread or, or the difference in what those yields were compared to what the averages were. The difference um, in it was much, much smaller in, in London than it was in the other areas of the UK, which I found quite interesting. And, and yeah, I mean, I mean London, about, about London as well. Yeah, I mean, yields in London are always going to be lower, but... Yeah. But it's, what the, we're saying is that it's the difference that I'm talking about, the difference from, say, the, where they have been on average for the last 20 years versus now versus the difference between where Manchester has been for the last 20 years versus now. And, um, and, and those differences were much um, less, um, much smaller for London than it was for Manchester and also some of the other areas around the UK, which I felt was quite positive. You know, and as, as I say, this is quantitative easing in, in action and yeah. we should have seen a much bigger yield compression in prime central London in line with all those compressions of other asset class yields, but we haven't because, you know, sentiment's been, been so depressed for say, six years, yeah, uh, which provides the opportunity, of course. Exactly. We've kind of talked about comparing it to other other assets. I think you've um, about kind of the outlook there for for interest rates. W what else do you think? Without you, say, without me asking, what's going to happen to Prime Central London? Where do I put my money right now? I mean, what what what's your opinion on on the outlook for Prime Central London then over say the next year and maybe the next five years? Yeah, so we're pretty uh, sanguine, pretty optimistic, really. As I mentioned, we've been through 
a very long downturn of six years. In real terms, prices are at a 13-year low, so we're at a very depressed starting point when we think about 2021 and the next five years or so. Um, it's also a, a very early cycle asset, so it tends to perform best early in the cycle. But we've got some, you know, starting from a miserable 2020, we've got some, hopefully some good things to look forward to. We've got a vaccine coming our way that will be rolled out, and actually the UK looks like it will be, you know, one of the quickest to roll out that vaccine. Yeah. It should give the economy an edge globally and hopefully help inward investment on a relative basis. And, you know, when we look at lead indicators, they're all pointing towards about sort of 4% economic growth globally next year. That's the, or this year, that's where the consensus is. And so you, and so you, you feel that the UK would, would slightly outperform that, that 4% then? Based um, well, historically it never has, but <laughs> given the, uh, the depth of the downturn we had, you know, and was it, 20% in Q2, and I think we are we going to end down seven or eight percent this year, uh, the 2020. Uh, we'll find out in the next few weeks when the GDP numbers are released. But you know, again, we're starting from a low base. Um, so, and I think the other important thing to mention is that global wealth has held up very well. So, if we go back to the financial crisis, the equity market collapsed and stayed depressed for some time. You know, it didn't regain its highs for a number of years afterwards. Whereas this downturn in the equity market if we look at the MSCI world index i mean i think we finished 2020 about 10 to 10 to 15 percent above the the all-time high yeah, so crazy, um, so you know global wealth has not been impacted in, in the same way that it has been historically and also there's a lot of you know the leverage in for some people is not nearly as as high as it was back in 2007, 8, 9. Um, so when we, we think about the next five years, 2000 and I say the, the long-term average for Prime Central London is 7% historic growth. So in our, well, we have, we have a five-year scenario. We're hesitant to call it a forecast just on the basis that every forecast is always wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and this, this will be wrong as well. There's no doubt about it. But, our sort of five-year scenario is that the market may grow 1.5 times the long-run average in 2021, which would give you a 10% growth rate in prices this year. And then for thereafter, we've just assumed uh, half the historic growth rate. So in other words, 3.5%. So if we compound that through over the next five years, it gives you 20, 26% capital growth over the next five years. And we don't think that's particularly historic, so uh, heroic rather. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if we compare that 26% growth to the five years after the financial crisis, it was um, around about 60% growth. Yeah. Well, I was going to. My, my next question was, where would you put us um, if we kind of had to go back to the great financial crisis? Would you say we're around 2009 now, um, just about to kind of come up, or do you, or do you think we're we're still maybe at the 2008 level or even further along 2010 or 2011? I, I do think we are sort of Q1 2009. Yeah. Um, the one thing though that, you know, there's all, obviously there's risk with everything and, and you know, you do worry, will the vaccine succeed? You know, um, will the recovery be that quick? Consumer behaviour has changed, you know, if you... If you force people to stay at home for a very long period of time, they consumers change their their habit. 
But having said that, they still need a place to live. And, you know, when we looked at 9-11, everybody said nobody would go and work in a tower block again. Yeah. Um, and I was working in a tower block at that time. And <laughs> when both planes went in, fortunately not in New York. But um, and, and I remember, actually, it was quite similar. Um, the sort of feeling in New York then was everyone, a rush to get out, to get out to kind of the suburbs and the countryside, quite similar to what's happened here with COVID, everyone's kind of fled for more space, I suppose. Um, and already I'm seeing um, certainly people kind of wanting to get back into the office a bit more than maybe they had thought they would six months ago. But maybe that's just because people are, need that social interaction and things like that. And certain jobs do require a bit of face-to-face -face time and, and shadowing and things like that. So hopefully that might bring a few more people back and stop people from actually making that decision to move out uh, a bit further out. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to one of the earlier points, houses will do better than flats over the next two to three years, I think. And, um, you know, that, I think that goes beyond prime central London as well into the, the suburbs, mm. the Richmond Barnes, Putney, those sorts of areas, and even you know down the A3 corridor towards sort of Cobham, Weybridge, George's uh, Hill, and yeah. George's Hill. So yeah, so we've looked at, um, we've done the same analysis on price relative to London for areas like Elmbridge. So Elmbridge is in George's Hill, yeah, um, Isha, Cobham, Oxshott. A lot incorporates a lot of the private um, estates. Mm gated estates with you know where the average capital value is somewhere between you know two to four million that, that sort of area and we've looked there and actually prices there are trading about 23 percent low relative to london so if we take elmbridge um, prices would need to rise around 30 percent to get back to the the long run average relative to london and actually if you go back to the late 90s elmbridge traded at a so Elmbridge now trades at 150% premium to London. Yeah. In the early 90s, it traded at 220% premium to London. So that would imply that, you know, it could go to historically gone to 70% premium. That's really interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that would have been the case. But yeah, that's... And I know you've done sort of... Um, you've looked at, like, like you have for Elmbridge, very specific areas, even within prime central London, like South Kensington, Mayfair... Um, Notting Hill etc and out of all of those areas which do you feel is maybe the uh, at, at its lowest value right now or or the cheapest compared to normal yeah I mean it's a sort of toss-up I mean funnily enough um, Mayfair compared to its long-run average is trading a 73% discount to its uh, 20-year average. So historically, it's traded at a 300, over a 316% premium. So London, it's now trading at 243%. So that, if it reverts to its long-run average, it gives you the, the greatest upside. Yeah. Um, South Kensington's cheap. Um, I think, again, that's about 65% below its long-run average. Knightsbridge and Belgravia, it's about 50% below its long-run average. And it Kensington is about 45% below its historic average. It would be really I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow and any of those areas are going to be 50% higher. Of course, yeah. All we're saying is that that strikes us as being cheap. Yeah. You know, there's a margin of safety there, which is, you know, quite helpful if you're buying a multi-million pound property. Absolutely. And, and um, 
I don't suppose you have a difference there between um, you can you're you're able to separate out flats and houses. So, for example, if you were to look at the flats in Mayfair and their 20-year average versus what they are now, and then separate houses and their 20-year average to what they are now. That might challenge my database. Right? <laughs> but that would, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it, if you could see the difference? Because then you might even see, I imagine, flats would be trading far lower than, than actually houses were. And if you're thinking, and if you are of the mind that actually um, people will be coming back and this whole thing about space and gardens is, is very... Um, is, is not going to last more than a year or two and then people will start coming back you might consider that even better than a house in Mayfair um, yeah th there will be a point where flats are particularly well discounted mm. and in particular you know we don't regard the city of London and Canary Wharf as prime centre London you know some mm. other people do but um, you know they're going to I think going to be in for a troublesome time over the next yeah. 12 to 18 months um, but actually thinking about it and as you mentioned it we can do for Kensington and Chelsea and Westminster on that sort of super level. We can do the analysis on flats relative to houses. Oh, I'll, I'll have to give you a call later then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's just so interesting. It just I think it just highlights the fact that there are so many different markets, not just in the UK but even in London, sort of dependent on the type of property, the location the tenant type, the buyer type, all these different things. And they really do kind of make, make a massive difference. So when people talk about the, the UK property market, it just, it's kind of an almost a pointless thing to discuss because it's so varied depending on where you are. Yeah, and, and even, you know, the sort of borough analysis, analysis and local market analysis, you say, you know, even going further, there's huge differences between streets and... yeah you know, properties, what sort of aspect has it got? What's the ceiling height like? Is there lateral space, you know, configuration, so on and so forth. It's, uh, it's, it's not as simple one number game in a way. Absolutely. So for investors, how would you say it's best to capitalise on this situation of prime central London and, uh, and, and the current values? Yeah, we think, um, you know, aside from buying your own home, in the area which um tax wise is possibly the best the best return <laughs> so yeah yeah that is true but if, if you're an investor um there are two routes so we mentioned it early on so one is to acquire apartment blocks um obviously it requires a bit more more money but it is tax efficient because you're paying commercial stamp duty mm -hmm. um you tend to get bulk discounts acquiring a single block um, as I mentioned before, there's, there's better liquidity on exit because you can sell individual apartments piecemeal. Yeah. Um, you have the operational efficiency because your units are concentrated in one place. Yeah, only one roof to fix. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there are other little um, things as well within that. So if you have um, any voids within the block, you can let out some of the units on a short-term basis to get a higher yield. So that enables you to kind of optimize the yield. And just on that with kind of flats, we already mentioned kind of the concern over the, the short lets in the area, gardens. Do you, do you think, do you see, I know the West End is, is starting to kind of get back to a bit of life or, or was before this latest lockdown. The city seems to still be struggling quite a lot. Do you see um, once kind of, 
flights and travel opens up a bit more do you see that coming back to life almost kind of immediately or or do you think people are still going to be a bit nervous and it's going to take a bit longer um for these these areas to start opening up so that these short-term lets um will will start to be a bit easier to kind of get out the door it's a good question you know the timing of that i don't know but perhaps on a if i'd look at on a two-year view i'd be you know pretty bullish that we get yeah somewhere close to normality of course i don't think it's ever going to be quite the same but calling it on a six eight month view is a bit more difficult yeah so you look at development of opportunities that you said uh, right at the start for for developers in the area doing the appraisals and the market research on that and i think you made a good point there of just discussing how those those sort of micro aspects of of the market make such a big difference like ceiling heights like the aspects like uh, the different streets as well so especially for buyers that may not be within that area i think that's that's really a key a key thing to consider yeah i mean we um as i mentioned before the the other area to where people can capitalize on this is you know benefiting from investing in development opportunities so we trying to we basically look for anything which shows a 15% internal rate of return mm-hmm. um which is where most investors what they want to achieve um so that would give you the benefit of clearly achieving that return plus whatever market return might come your way in the next yeah. few years. Yeah, and we've got access to quite a number of off-market buildings, apartments, and so on. So um, that's a great way to capitalise on it. And what's the best way for people to contact you if they do want to find out a little bit more about it? Right. I mean, the simple email is info at ludgroveproperty.com. Yeah, more than happy to help and have a conversation with anyone. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure those are in the show notes. And yeah, I, I found that all just so fascinating. I love looking at kind of data and, and, and you've, you've taken it to a whole new level of sophistication, which is brilliant. And uh, I, think, I think listeners will, will love that. Just wanted to say huge thank you and, uh, and, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Rod. If you enjoyed the Rodcast, please don't forget to give us an iTunes review. There's a link in the show notes to do that. It just helps other listeners find our podcast. And if you're interested in what any of our guests do, please look into the show notes for their details. Also, if you're interested in the property businesses that I'm involved in or in my consultancy services, please do contact me via the email you guessed it it's in the show notes don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes as they come out thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed it